This is CliffCentral.com. Good evening. Welcome to the Country Duty Show on Cliff Central. This is our officially first show. Um, it promises to be lit, given the guests that we have. We have invited the MEC for Education in Gauteng. I'm talking about life insofar as, you know, guests. That was intro. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, come, play. Let's catch up. Let's catch up. Let's catch up. I'm, I'm trying to catch up and I'm not hearing it. Okay, good stuff. Cheers. You can't say it's our second, our first show, though. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. Okay, it's our second show. Okay, let's, let's start. Welcome to our second show. All right. Good evening. Welcome to the Country Duty Show on Cliff Central. My name is Dumisole and handle at Dumisole. Hi, my name is Katlocha and my handle is at handful underscore K. On today's show, we're discussing the education crisis and um, a certain report that's been put together called the... Pearls Report. On our show today, we have the MEC for Education, Mr. Panyaza, Comrade Kibelama Fence Lusufi. <laughs> we're also going to be talking to Ms. Harriet from the Parkhurst School um, She's an educational therapist who's going to be t- um, talking to us further about the challenges that she faces or she has noticed when it comes to the children in grade four reading. We also have um, Mr. Tepomotipe from Equal Education, and he's Skyping in all the way from Cape Town. We had to pull him out of a meeting, but because he's passionate about education and the likes, he's here and he wants to advance and help us improve as a country. So we're taking your calls on... 0861 You can also WhatsApp us on 79 Please use the hashtag and engage us. You, you'd recall Dr. Z um, came about on the timeline. She's a vets um, medic who initially needed assistance. She was, I think, 68,000 short. And we, you know, together with you on Twitter, went through a drive to assist and raise um, this required amount. It was quite positive, given that it all happened within 24 hours, and um, ultimately she has graduated, as far as I understand, but um, we're happy to hear from her, and we'll just have her in studio in a few minutes. Unreal, uncensored, unradio. Clipcentral.com. Welcome back. We thought we should comply with the big days. Um, that was big nice, but we shouldn't even worry about telling you because it's a, it's a song and a half. Um, just before we broke for the song, we did say that we're going to have Dr. Z on the line. Um, and just for her to tell us about her journey and who she is and what Country Duty has done together with everyone on Twitter and probably a word of appreciation. Dr. Z, are you online? Hello. Hi, Dr. Z. Hi, how are you? How are you doing, Dr. Z? I'm well, thanks, and how are you? Dr. Z? Hi, Jimmy, I can hear you. Can you hear me, Dr. Z? I hear you now. Oh, right, great stuff. Apologies about that. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks, and how are you doing? Good, good, thank you. Um, and thank, thanks really for agreeing to chat to us this evening. Um, could you perhaps just tell us a little about yourself? Um, so I'm, I was a medical student and I've now graduated as a doctor from this, um, university. I'm one of, um, four children raised by a single mother, one children, um, Newcastle. And um, basically, I'm just a, a young little girl from Kibbutz. I don't know what, much, what more I'm um, to say. 
Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, how was it like for you at VIT? You've seen recently, and I think on Twitter as well, um, some of the allegations that were being made. And ultimately, at your graduation uh, class photo, there were some, you know, banners um, expressing some opinions. How did you find it? How was that environment like? Um, It was very difficult um, for me. And I definitely... Um, know where I understand like I agree with um, the the viewpoint of you know the boycotting of the, the graduation class photo um, I understand I know some friends who've been in situations where um, they definitely were treated unfairly truly because of the racism you know yeah um and because of that, it was very, it was very difficult. Mainly because you know, it was difficult. Number one, you know, it you know put the pressures and the 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 unfairness of racism on top of that makes it more difficult. I mean, also um, people who would stand up against or speak out against the the, the discrimination sure. were targeted, and they, you know, seemed to be made an example of them, and you know. Yeah, it it made it kind of hard for 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 the rest of us. You know, you you want this this unfair treatment to stop, you want discrimination to stop, but you also scared, sure. you know, of the organization. So you you kind of have to keep yourself or not be as out there about you know, no. about certain things. Yeah, no, I hear you. But I guess finally it's done. You are now a graduate. Um, okay. Someone brought. Your, 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 your request. I think a friend of yours, um, initially shared it on Facebook. It came onto Twitter. And then, and we understood at the time that you were not as active on Twitter, but ultimately you came on board. How was yeah. that experience? What, what, what was happening? Wow. Um, it was very shocking to me. It was like I feel. To this day, I think I still don't even believe that, you know, it really happened because um, my friend called me, you know, and she was excited and I just told her that I got my, my last rotation surgery and she was just like, so are you excited about graduation, you know, how the plans, I'm like, graduation's not going to happen, I'm still owing, you know, over 60,000 rand, so um, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, my, we have like a graduation week, um, at school where there's like a breakfast, a ball, fourth day, and then the grad itself. So, um, my mother had made a dress for me to go to the ball. So yeah. I planned on at least, you know, enjoying some of the festivities around grad week. But, you know, I ultimately told her grad is not going to happen. She was like, no, we have to make it happen. Um, so she asked me if I was opposed to, the idea of her posting something on social media and, you know, um, asking for assistance. And I, I, I was like, no, I'm not a poster. At that time, I didn't even think it was going to, you know, gain the traction that it did or, yeah. you know, actually work out. I was like, yeah, sure, you can put it out there. But, you know, rolling my eyes, I was just like, this is going to happen. So, and fast yeah. forward to, you know, when John Pumpo Tulo and you contacted me, it then started to seem really real and it was happening and the, the responses that I got from people were just so so overwhelming and so amazing. Like it's been it's been such a great opportunity for me and sure. No, um, thanks for sharing. I think ultimately this was one of those indications where social media, especially South Africans and, and, and yeah. other people on Twitter who heeded a call and, and ultimately that's changed your life. And, and is there anything that you, you know, in closing want to say to them? Um, thank you is all I really thank you and all that I, I'm, I'm going to keep saying thank you so, so, so very much to all of those people. Um, I will not let you down and I will do to others as you have done for me. Thank you so much. Great stuff. Thanks, Dr. Z. Everything of the best. Uh? Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on the call um, and everything of the best. Okay. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Cheers.
very much, Dr. Z. That was Dr. Z on the line for us. Um, so moving on today, we're going to be discussing, like I said earlier, on the P- the Pearl's report on um, education for on reading for comprehension in grade four. Um, we had shocking results. Um, I'm really not sure that everybody was amazed by this because we've had this coming for quite some time. I mean, even if you look at the res- uh, the the reports from prior years, the difference isn't that much um, off. Prior years, I think it was at 32%, no, at 38%, and we came down this year to 32% um, in our reading stats. So our guest on the line to, on in the studio today is Miss um, Harriet, and she's um, an educational therapist who has who volunteered at Parkhurst and from her volunteering there it grew into bigger things and she has had more people volunteering to help with the children at the at the school um the children read to her and they've also got other programs running like a feeding scheme and a vegetable garden we're also going to have Tepa Mozepa from the education equal education foundation and we're going to be Skype, skyping him in to discuss this further with us Great stuff. Um, Tsepo, are you, are you with us? Tsepo, hello. Okay, well, while we're waiting for Tsepo to come in, Miss Harriet, can you please just say hello to Country Duty Nation? Hello, everybody. Um, Country Duty is a fantastic uh, title for this program because I think all of us in this country need to do our duty. Thank you very much, ma'am. <laughs> So we just can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and where you're coming from? Yes, I'll I think I'll start by telling you a little story about how I got involved at Parkhurst. Um someone who whose child was struggling in grade 6 um about 5 6 years ago now um whose family I know very well approached me and said please can you help with uh my son he's going to fail and his teachers say that he needs to go to a special school. So I carried out an assessment on him, found that in grade six he had a reading age of about eight years, which is equal to a grade two child. And I worked with Tabo, that is his name, I worked with him uh, once a week for three years, and um, he slowly caught up and um, began to function at a level appropriate for his age. What is really exciting is that he's at a good high school. He's just completed grade 10. He hasn't failed. And he is going to represent his school on the Johannesburg Junior City Council. So it does show that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that with the right teaching, children can read and read well and for comprehension. So do you work with the teachers at Parkhurst? I work with the teachers. I um, spend about three days a week there providing educational intervention for children who are struggling. I've set up a huge volunteer program where we read with all the grade three children once a week and we read with the weakest grade fours and grade fives. Um, So we're doing quite a lot for reading at the school. Okay. And... um what challenges do you think the teachers are facing, especially the grade four teachers, because this was the report was mainly based on the grade four, when it comes to teaching the children? Like, where, where do they fall short, for lack of a better term? There's no way that the children have the comprehension levels. That they, they neither have the reading accuracy ne- levels nor the comprehension levels to even read their textbooks. Sure, that's de- that's very scary. It's <laughs> devastating. Yeah, Tsepo, um, are you on the line? Hi, hi guys, I'm on the line. Yeah, um, thank you for joining us, Tepo. I know that you're in a meeting and we had to pull you out, but I think, you know, um, we, we know what equal education does. Could you just briefly just explain to our listeners, um, as to what do you guys do and, and, and just a brief synopsis of, of your, this report? Sure, sounds good. Uh, well, equal education is a movement, a social movement of young people, learners, students in high school, post-school youth, young people have finished uh, grade 12, um, and we've got membership in with, with their parents as well and teachers in schools. We organized in five provinces around the country. And part of our mission is that we use research and traditional forms of advocacy to basically advance the struggle to fix... Uh, 80% of the schools in the country that remain in a crisis. 
And I guess just to go into the second part of your of your question, how we understand this report, I think what is important to note about this report is that <clears throat> the the analysis was done over 293 schools, and between 2000, 2006 and 2011, we're seeing some some improvement. And the real question is to ask what happened between 2011 and now, and why did that improvement stop? Mm. And I guess in our understanding, one of the things currently that we're looking at is why is there no investment in the early grades in this country? You're seeing massive amounts of money that is being pumped in grade 10, 11, particularly in metric. We are going to the metric season where everyone is going to be talking about the results, and people don't get it. That metric results don't matter. What matters is the early grades. It's grade to grade R, one, two, and three, um, and grade four. Yeah. Because what happens between those grades is that children learn to read, and once they go through those those grades, they read to learn. Yeah. So there's a huge transition that happens, and that's something that we need to start. So you don't go into grade twelve and start putting in major investment and think that you'll you'll get a fully fledged. A learner coming out of the system that will be able to contribute into, into the economy. And I think we need to link these results to the economy. What does this mean for our economy yeah. going forward? No, I think, I think that, that, that's a, you know, important observation. At the end of the day, it effectively means that it starts from the bottom and, and, and there's something that needs to be done. And I think while we continue with the show, we'll discuss some of the approaches and the likes and you, you can share your views. Harriet, is there something also that you would have noticed on the report that would, that probably grabbed your, your attention and you would probably want to share with our, Listeners? Not particularly. I haven't read the summary of the report yet, but I would say that without vocabulary and language, you are not going to comprehend anything. And the prob- a very big problem, as I see it, is that children are coming to school with inadequate uh, vocabulary and language. It's then very difficult to teach them to read, and of course it's difficult for them to comprehend. And I think that you're quite right. More needs to be done at the bottom than at the top. If it doesn't start at the bottom, they're never going to get to the top, and they're not getting to the top. So even before grade one, uh, parents need to know that they've got a very important role to play. Certainly. Do you perhaps think that the the real issue is the method of teaching, or is it because it's been conducted, you know, English or otherwise or generally we, we do have a problem. And, and same goes to you, Tepo. I think, um, do, do you think really the issue is based on the method of teaching the language um, or, or that has been used or, or what's your view? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's that necessarily. Um, the, test, the test with Pearls was, was conducted in only the 11 official languages. Correct. Um, what is, and, and what is, what that indicates is, is two things. One, if the test was done in all 11 official languages, what is, can you think of a book that was released in Setswana or Sebedi that we know is being used in our classrooms currently? Mm. Um, and that book was produced within, uh, the last 10 years. Yeah. And I, and I think you'd realize that even universities are struggling to answer that question, especially around, um, Investing in South African languages, uh, all 11 official languages. So there's that aspect. So the test was done in 11 official languages. Yeah. And second to that, the method of teaching around, around the method of teaching. If you're going to look at the schooling system in this country and eight out of 24,000 plus roughly 24,000 schools and 80% of those schools are in a crisis. And we just look at the method of teaching. It's not just only the method of teaching is what makes those schools to be in a crisis. It's we're still in the zone of the legacy of apartheid. Mm. And you've got teachers that have gone through that training system that are still within the system. Unfortunately, you can't get rid of them all at once. What you need to do is to upskill them. This is where the investment is so important. You know, one of the things I was hoping that they'll be, the MEC will be on this show, but one of the, things that one of the critiques that one of the researchers has found in the organization is that the overinvestment in ICT, for instance, has robbed grade one, two, and three learners in primary schools of being able to be supported and the teachers to be able to be supported adequately. So let me give you just a quick stat. Yeah. A lot of the female teachers who are, in, who are, teaching, in, uh, are teaching in grade one, two, and three, and a lot of the male teachers are teaching in, in, in grade 11 and 12. Yeah. 
So even this whole system has got a gendered aspect, which is quite fascinating, mm. that you're having female teachers not receiving the adequate attention because they're just seen as caregivers. They're just seen as make sure that the kids are fine, they're well-behaved. But in the later grades, you're seeing a lot of male dominance, and they're receiving state-of-the-art support, including massive amounts of investment. So all of these, all of those things, they have an impact. But most important, how have we developed our languages? Have universities come to the fore to support African studies or African languages? Are we seeing an investment? When the last Ndebele uh, PhD was produced at UNISA, and that was the last one <laughs> in the last few years, and we haven't yeah. seen anything else since then. Yeah. Harriet, what, what's your view, um, given what Tepper has said, and, you know, um, and the apparent or what appears to be um, overinvestment to a certain extent? You know, do, do you share those views? What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, agree. I think um, there are not sufficient resources or reading resources for the children um, in, in all languages um, that are appropriate for their needs and for the South African situation. Um, our children don't need to be reading about snow in England. Um, many of the, the readers that are produced um, are very um, oriented in that kind of way, and that's very inappropriate. They need experience, readers that, have, that share their experience. Um, I think when you talk about the method of teaching, yes, I agree. There are teachers who do need to be upskilled, but I think also we... we Go back to the whole issue of mother tongue education or um, straight into straight for English, which is what seems to happen in lots of the urban areas where children go from home or their, their preschool environment straight into an English grade R or grade one. That is not helpful, particularly when um, the education department does not make allowances for the the needs of those children. They are completely ignored. They're just expected to follow the same syllabus as an English-speaking child would have to, which is not okay. Okay. Um, so do you have any books or uh, read, um, volunteers at, the, at your school that are of indigenous origin? No. Um, we don't, and it would be because these are disadvantaged black South African children, it would be fantastic to have some volunteers with whom they can identify and who will be role models for them. So if anyone wants to volunteer after hearing this program, feel free. That would be great. Um, we're going to be taking calls on zero one zero eight six one. Triple five one eight nine, and our WhatsApp number is zero seven nine seven four eight two zero nine zero. We're still trying to get a hold of our MEC Lesufi to come and also give us a feedback on the um, report and to give us some views of how he can help us out. Um, we tried to get Satu in because a lot of the questions that we actually had um, were based around what they do or or how they. Um, Interact with the teachers at schools Because um, even if you look at the past Interviews that we've had with Such members, they always Seem to come off as um, Protecting the teachers So when you look at the report, there's quite a high number Of absenteeism In the schools um, From teachers' side And we, we, I'm pretty sure that plays quite a huge role with the with the affecting the children with their reading, don't you agree, Harriet? I do. It's very difficult to how do you manage a class and large class numbers um, when a teacher is away? Where are you going to get somebody to to a supervise and b teach those children? You're not. Oh, yeah. And also, I'm sure taking breaks away like that would also interrupt the progress that would uh, would be done if the teachers were there constantly. And For sure. More. Mm. Yeah, um, one of the things though, uh, and, and perhaps this is uh, an opportune time to discuss it, would, would, if someone was to say, and we've seen some of their views and comments, um, do you think given where we are and, and how things are, parents may well have outsourced their, their functions to teachers, to, to schools, than really own up? Do you think that would be a, you know, a correct reflection or assumption to make? Yes, I do. I think it's very hard for parents um, who are struggling to make a living 
to and whose children attend schools sometimes quite far away from their homes. It's very difficult for them to be part of the life of the school. But I think that parents need to understand that just sending your child to school is not the beginning and end of the of their responsibility. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, we also need to be cognizant of the fact that a lot of parents work long. Um, stringent hours that take quite a bit from them They get home rather late Or they get home very tired And that probably also plays a role In, in how they do not have the time Unfortunately to, to help their children I'm not going to agree with you I met a teacher once who said She was one of nine children Of a single mother They were all well educated And that mother worked her fingers to the bone And did everything that she needed to do it's Perfectly possible Perfectly possible, I'm sure, but I mean, it is quite a task. I agree. <laughs> Sapo, um, do you think, as I've asked Harriet, um, that parents may well have outsourced this function to, to teachers and, and to a certain extent pass the buck? Well, look, I don't, I don't think that's the case, and I don't think it's just a matter of being tired. Yeah. I think when you're looking at uh, our households and yeah. you compare per province, and in the report, you'll realize that urbanized provinces and the province like the Free State actually did well. There was some improvement. Yeah. And majority of our provinces in the country, which are rural, uh, perform badly. And the question is, what is happening in those provinces? Massive amount of poverty, child-headed households, women uh, are heading, single mothers are heading those households. And I think you're, you're one of the presenters is right, that you're having uh, women, majority of them poor domestic workers having to leave home at four to catch the train, come back at eight in, in, in the evening, the kids are already asleep. Yeah. The kids basically have to take care of themselves. The real question that we should be asking, based on our history, and that's very important, what should then be the role of education as a liberating tool? What type of schooling system do you want? And what type of teachers do you want teaching our children? What type of schooling environment must we have? And we need to be able to, to say, one of the mistakes I think we did was to Give the education system to politicians, yeah. and 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 hence you're seeing the problems that we're having. So the issue here is that one politician will want to do what they can achieve within a reasonable sh- amount of time of five years, and within five years they can claim to have done so much to impact on education, which they haven't. Education is a lifelong learning; you don't measure the results immediately. So I think we should be able to say, how do we get schools to become sites of liberation where young people go there regardless of their poverty, regardless of their background, and they really feel that they can improve their conditions. And you can look at schools in, 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 in Mbobol, um, the one of the best-performing schools in the country for meds and science. Yeah. Majority of those kids come from poor families, childhood households, but when they get inside those, uh, that, that yard, yeah. they know that their, their conditions can change, and those are the types of schools that we should be uh, wishing we could have in our township and rural places. Yeah. No, thanks for that. I think that's very insightful. We have a caller on the line. Um, Athol from Cape Town. Can you hear us? Hello. Hi, Athol. How are you? I'm on you. Good, thanks. Um, welcome to the Country Duty Show. Um, and thanks for joining our conversation. We're happy to take okay. your question. Okay. I just have one question. When I was studying the Pulse report, I noticed that um, currently... I think the distribution of teachers, for the, one of the surveys that I've done is that about 49% of them, if I remember correctly, are between the ages of um, 50 and 59. Mm. And then the, the rest of the distribution was a bit bad. So when I first looked at it, I thought, wow, that's great. It actually, it actually means that, you know, disregarding the, the training aspect um, that, that we've talked about, Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have a good distribution of um, experienced teachers. But when you start looking at the categories be- um, below that in terms of age, the numbers are actually very poor. And one of the things that I noted was that the number of new teachers um, coming into the system was so poor. I think it was less than 10%. So I started thinking of it in terms of the next decade. What does it mean in the next decade and two decades? And the current 50% retire. And I just wanted to ask... Um, your, your listeners, um, sorry, your, your guests for comments on that. Thank you. I thought, I think that's a very important question and, and it talks to the issues. Um, it also would have been great if the MEC was here. I think, you know, we, we want to understand at least what it means from a succession planning perspective. And, and yeah, Tsepo, do you, I don't know if you've heard Athol from Cape Town? Initially, that. 
a lot of the teachers within the system are old teachers. We des- desperately need young teachers into the system. We desperately need young, talented people to come into the system. They are not coming into the system because we have not created conditions for them to work um, in, 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 in a comfortable manner because everyone just sees education as something which can uh, can be attributed to, to poverty and all these other things. And I think there's work to be done on that aspect. But we desperately need young teachers to come into the system. Unfortunately, until that happens, we have to deal with the cohort of all teachers who were dying a disservice by the apartheid regime. Remember, there was a time when black teachers, in particular black African teachers, yeah. if you had a grade 10, which was a standard 8 or a JC by then, you could then go and teach a grade 12 or a matric class. So you tell me, you're teaching people uh, towards their matric and you don't have a matric. And that's what apartheid did. And you, we must understand that that has created a generation of teachers within the system. Not that these, these majority of them are powerful, inspired teachers. We have had to improve their skills and upskill themselves, and majority of them have done well. But the world is changing. The economy, we need to understand the economy in relation to education. Yeah. And, and until we understand the economy in relation to education and looking at what uh, uh, the Asian Tigers did, looking at what any, any any country has done, and everyone keeps on saying, let's privatize the education system, and my argument has always been, show me a country, world-leading country, that has achieved economic emancipation by privatizing the education system, yeah. and then I will support you, and none of them can, can prove that, because you can only achieve economic emancipation with a good public education system. Yeah, Th- thanks for that. Harriet, um, your views? Uh, I don't like you calling them old teachers. Um, <laughs> I'm an well, old I'm teacher. A young, I'm a young teacher. I'm a young teacher. <laughs> because I think some of those teachers may be some of the best teachers around. Um, and I think another issue is that the schools who, rural schools who do perform well have got absolutely dedicated teachers. So 100%. the dedication and the commitment to teaching and educating young people is really crucial to education succeeding. And we need people who are going to show that kind of uh, commitment. But, but is there, and, and I agree, I mean, end of the day, succession plan is necessary and, and it must be heard. Do you think um, our government, to a certain extent, is not making it more attractive for, for young upcoming teachers? I mean, I grew up in a township and, and teachers would be respected. It used to be a very reputable profession, you know, not that it is not now, but it used to be something that you would glorify and and the first thing if you ask i'd say some of my generation they would say i either want to be a teacher a policeman or a lawyer for example is is it really because it's not being incentivized or we are really dealing with more of it being more politicized i think taking from what Sepo had said initially I think it is politicized um, quite considerably in this country but i think throughout the world teachers don't always have um, it's not always the, the most um, looked up to profession. Um, so it's a problem everywhere. Yeah. And can you, like, but I mean, it should, like, to me said already that it, it, where do we fall short with that? Where, how do we get it back to be a profession where people are, are proud to be teachers and they're proud to want to go to work in the mornings and want to go and teach our children. Because, I mean, I honestly personally believe that teaching is a calling. It's not, it should be a calling. It's not something that you just do because it's your, uh, half per seven to two and you're going to get your paycheck at the end of the day. You spend your day with our children and we would like it to be something that you do because you're passionate about it. So how do we put that passion back into teaching? Well, I think in this country, um, if anyone looks at the curriculum, the curriculum is very dogmatic. It is prescribed to teachers. Teachers have very little room to uh, maneuver within the curriculum requirements. And again, that is why it's a pity that the MEC is not here to comment. So the administrative purpose, the work that they have, it just takes away from the love and from the core purpose of, of No, no, it's that they are It's that they, they, there is that issue but I think it's that they are told what to teach, when to teach and how to teach it yeah. okay. uh, We have a call on the line um, The Republic of Cape Town is showing us some love um, Shout out to Cape Townians, I hope the weather is it's kind, we have Jami or Jamina on the line Jami Jamina, I hope I'm getting your name right 
Hello. Hi. Um, is it Jamie or Jamina? Uh, Jamie from Cape Town. Right. Thanks for joining us. Apologies if I got your name incorrect. Uh, okay. Can I please uh, ask what is the impact of the lack of discipline from the kids? Um, sorry about that, but I think the question the question was what is the lack of discipline on the part of the kids? Could it perhaps have an impact on how certain things are done. Sepo, as, as, as you having been in the classroom, do you think, you know, when, when some of us were, were growing up, we would get a smacking? And, and unfortunately, corporal punishment, um, although it's outlawed, in certain schools it's there, and, and it won't be encouraged on the show. But do you think lack of discipline on the kids may well have a certain impact insofar as how education has been seen and, um, you know, um, outsourced to a certain extent? Well, I think that the, the, one of the progressive things to ever be introduced in particularly majority black township and rural schools was corporal punishment was abolished. And I think that was a progressive move and it should stay that way. Corporal punishment should continue to be legal because in education we speak of what, what is known as the hidden curriculum. Even under apartheid, when corporal punishment was administered in, in white, in white uh, schools, you never had the intensity in which it was administered in black township schools or uh, black rural schools. So I'm, I'm, I don't think the issue here is discipline. The issue here is accountability. Do we have accountable teachers? One of the things that you guys mentioned was that the report speaks about the number of absenteeism within our schools. Teachers, we might, as much as I'm very supportive and I, of, of hardworking, dedicated teachers, we have a crisis in this country of accountability where a person wakes up one morning to the wake up and say, I'm going to work and I'm going to earn my, my salary or my wage. And we need to instill that in our people, that in, they must take pride in our work. And how do we make sure that they take pride in our work? We create conditions for them to be able to work in environments that are, in, in, that, that, that are conducive. Uh, you cannot expect accountability in a classroom of 60 learners. You cannot expect accountability when you do not have uh, ways of punishing bad behavior or dealing with isolating bad behavior. And we need to put those in place. That's why, you know, one of the things that I say, education, as much as it globally and historically it has been politicized, at some point we need to realize and ask the question, why is it being politicized? It's being politicized because we know it's a liberating tool. And once you, any nation gets it right and puts in place accountability and a, a vision properly, they're able to do anything they want. And we need to be able to ask ourselves, what is it that we're doing wrong? What is it that Zimbabwe did with their excellent teachers? You know, you go yeah. to any school in Soweto right now. Yeah. The best performing schools in maths and science, you have Zimbabwean teachers. <laughs> and, and, and that's a fact, you know. And, that's a fact. And, and, and it's right? true, you know. Surely there are lessons to be learned. And, and those lessons 100%. need to be replicated in, in, in South Africa. Um, I just also want to read uh, a tweet. I think they, they're in agreement with what you're saying. It's from Education Works. They say, we agree with you, um, Tsepo, and it's exactly that, what you just described. So thank you, Education Works, at Education Works, for engaging with us. Harriet, do you have something to say in relation to what Tsepo has just said? Well, I can only talk about my own experience in an urban um, uh let's say, disadvantaged school where children use transport to travel from four, half past four in the morning to school and an equally long journey home. How do those children manage to spend such a long day at school and manage to stay calm and quiet? They can't stay calm and quiet, and many of them are hungry. Um, so there are a lot of social Issues related to discipline which need to be addressed. Okay. Uh, that's why you also have one of the, the things that you do at the schools is also the feeding scheme yes. and your vegetable garden helps with the, with the hunger. Yes, because it's not just um, one aspect. Reading is not just one aspect. It's a more holistic approach to see that the children's needs are met. I have a question. Um, do you think that teachers themselves can read to comprehend? No. So if they can't do it, then how are they then going to transfer the skills onto the children? Indeed. So how do we combat that product? <laughs> well, again, I think it's a I think it's a political kind of thing. Um, the trend, the, the, the 
the trend is to make sure that you're appointing black teachers to teach black children. And I think that that's okay. But when those children are struggling in an English medium environment, it makes greater sense to appoint English-speaking teachers or good English-speaking teachers to deal with their needs, not to have second-language teachers teach children who are struggling, second-language children who are struggling to learn another language. So that is quite an important issue. Okay. That that could work, but I mean they probably have them in that in a situation that way because they think that they would understand the children better because they would come from the same. Well, it's what I think we need background. in all of our in all of our schools, public and private. We need a balanced teaching staff and a balanced um, pupil ratio. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. We we our calls are coming in. We have. Arthur from Book Dash. Hi, Arthur. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thank you. Um, thanks for taking time to call in. I hope sure. you you've been listening and I understand that you've been speaking to some of um, our team members on this. Yeah. Sure. Great stuff. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to just look at the recent report, or you just want to talk general the state of education in the country and the likes. Yeah, so uh, the report, uh, I've seen um, the, the summaries, particularly by Next Ball, and obviously it's horrifying. In many ways, those of us who have been working in literacy for a while, it's not really news. Um, so uh, what I suppose is encouraging, if it's that at all, is that there are a lot of people already working on this problem, and uh, what they need is more support, I suppose. Our organization is one of the organizations trying to um, make a difference. What do you guys do at Book Dash? So one of the big needs that literacy organizations have is for books uh, to give to children. Uh, we believe that children should, as far as much as possible, own their own books. And so at Book Dash, our organization, we have a vision statement that every child should own 100 books by the age of five. Yeah. And that's really important that uh, the children own books. 100 books is actually not a lot of books. Yeah. Uh, and we believe it's possible to deliver that over the next several years in South Africa. And one of the ways we do that is by creating brand new books uh, with African children in them that are relevant to uh, local uh, stories and lives. And the way we do those is we get professional writers, illustrators, and designers who volunteer their time to produce really amazingly beautiful books that are completely a gift to the world. So anyone can go to our website can download the files, they can print their own copies, they can redistribute them if they want to. And that means that we can deliver printed books really, really cheaply because we don't have to worry about publishing infrastructure and royalties and other complications of the publishing industry. And then we work with funders to print big volumes of print runs that we give away through literacy organizations. We've already given away nearly 200,000 books. 200,000, you said. We're only growing from strength to strength. So we feel a very particular niche in the literacy landscape, which is providing relevant children's books for literacy organizations to use in tackling this crisis. Yeah, that's that, that's amazing. Um, and and um, can you just give us details of your website? Uh, what we will do, and I think, you know, for the people who are listening, who are using hashtag country duty and would probably listen to the podcast after the show, um, this is an excellent initiative. They would want to be involved. Um, we are happy to also use the hashtag country duty in conjunction with you so that we can get the momentum going. We've already seen some tweets, um, you know, leading up to the show where people said they are reading to young ones at their respective communities. We are hoping that will replicate throughout the country. Can you just give us your website address and contact details? Sure. The place to go is book-org. That's book-org. And you can find all the details there. Right now, one of the simplest ways to support us is that uh, Woolworths, who are one of our uh, partners, are selling children's books in selected stores around the country. And if you buy one of those books, Woolworths gives another copy to a child who can't afford one. And it's a really important, simple way for South Africans right now to get behind 
uh, tackling the literacy crisis. That that's amazing. Shout out to Woolworths. I think it's 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 it really goes to the point of you know making education fashionable and not just only spending, but ensuring that a life has changed. And and we appreciate that. Um, our team will be in contact with you. We'll obviously develop a campaign and work with you so that um, we get South Africans behind this. I think it's excellent, and we we totally agree. Tepo, what what is your view? Thanks for coming on to the show, Arthur. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Cheers. Well, well, I think to me, one of the things that we must understand is that the issue is not just about promoting English as a as the language just of authority. Yes, it's the, it's the language of commerce and, and everything else. Yes. But one of the things that we must invest in is mother tongue language. It's not good good enough to just change the pictures of people and still have the same syntax. Correct. And just change people from being light-skinned to black. Yeah. We need to be to be having a system of how do we improve and, and start building on all languages in this country. It's been proven. Studies are there. You want to teach learners, young people at an early age, how to read and write. You first start off with their mother tongue. Then it's easy for them to assimilate a second language or a third language or a fourth language. Therefore, the destruction and the neglect, both by government and, 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 and the private sector to some extent, of communities and their indigenous languages has led to the crisis that we're having. So these young people grow up in homes where they are speaking Mrs. Zulu. They go to schools and the instruction is English. For them to be able to assimilate English, they first need to transition constantly. So at school, they transition between English and Mrs. Zulu. At home, it's just pure Mrs. Zulu, and there's no time to make sense of anything else. And that's the biggest indictment. And you look at all the people that are involved in literacy projects are people who are trying to instill uh, what is being either being taught at school. Uh, some have got very good intentions, which we salute. But one of the things that we need to be able to do is to work towards identifying writers and young people who can write in their mother tongue and be able to read to our young people in the early stages. And I'm talking, you know, age 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 two age one in fact when the child is still in the tummy yeah you know that's when that's where they start assimilating language and uh, and identifying it and that's what we need to be saying to tell stories go back to the basics but the most important thing is that if we don't invest as a country in in our languages we're, we're not going to be able to perform and be able to assimilate uh new languages and learn them uh, and use them uh in, in the way we'd like to use them now, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Uh, it talks about decolonizing education and making it more attractive to the consumers, which happen to be uh, black, most of them, and, and, and it will become adaptable to a certain extent. Harriet? Yeah, maybe Bookdash should be um, producing uh, some of their books not in English. Correct. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, the purpose of this discussion, to sit, you know, come around the table, discuss with them, see how best we can do this, and, and, and suggest some ideas. I think it, it, it's excellent. Um, it can never just be limited to one aspect, be it in English or otherwise, but we will definitely get there. Um, I think we also have another caller on the line. Hello, Nkwazi. Hi, Nkwazi. How are you? I'm well, thanks, indeed. I'm good, thank you. So you have a book out that you've written, which is the Zulu edition for the Small Business Handbook. Yes, I do. Congratulations yes, on that, and thank you so very much for that. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? So um, we, we wrote the Small Business Handbook, um, the English version, earlier this year, um, which is basically a guideline for entrepreneurs who are in the early stages. And we touch on a variety of topics, from funding to branding to leadership to BE. And really what it's meant to be is a, a guidance tool that will help someone who's starting off be able to um, just have an easier journey, no way to access information, no way to reach certain people. And so um, we have, I think, quite resounding feedback for the English one, and I think since our motto is to make information accessible, we decided that part of that is getting the book translated in a couple of our indigenous languages, and so we started off with this. 
That is so amazing. And so what you, I see that you say that you've had some hurdles and hiccups along the way. Can you tell us what kind of problems that you guys encountered with the translation? So um, I think the, the first one was really trying to find the right translation company um, because I think what we, what we found is that um, most translators are, are, will translate more um, just fictional books and business translation and business terms in Isizuli or uh, something that is, I think is still quite specialized. And so um, it took us a while to identify the right person. And then also we had to, I would say, invest a bit more in also getting another um, person to even double-check and proofread and even correct the other translator, um, which for me was quite interesting. Um, the other part, of course, um, any small business um, role was um, cash flow because um, the the book printing the book um, was quite expensive, and and so um, with regards to that, we we could have launched the book earlier this year, um, but because of cash flow issues, we we had to delay it um, towards the end of the year. Well, congratulations for overcoming all of that stuff, but we will definitely be following you and talking more about you. Congratulations, and thank you for taking our call. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Great stuff. Um, I just want to, there's a tweet that is important, and I think this is exactly what Mzanti um, Twitter has been talking about. Um, the handle is Nose, and her suggestion is, why don't we set up reading rooms across the country? I don't know what your view is, um, Mr. Mutepe. Just before we let you go for your next meeting, um, in relation to that suggestion, can you just give us your quick view and close up and we can close the show? Well, well, I think in particular I'm going to be very specific. Black graduates and black university students have a bigger role to play in this. How many young people go back home during these holidays, whether they be in the, in, in the law faculty, in education, in medicine? The little skills they have, go and volunteer. We're seeing a lot of uh, young world-class kids, and uh, even by race and by class, they go during school holidays or university holidays to volunteer. Have we inculcated that culture? Mm. Um, and if, if, if we have, I think we need to do more to, to, to let our colleagues do that. And I think it's a brilliant idea, but we need to do more because to, become, to go to university for four years or five years to practice and then only think that you can only practice when, it's, when the benefit is only a salary or wage, it's, it's useless. You can only really understand the need and the contribution you're making when you really start during the time in which you're learning the skills and acquiring to become a professional before you even acquire that degree. And I think um, uh, university graduates and college graduates have got a lot, uh, or students rather, have a lot to contribute sure. uh, during this crisis. Great stuff. Thank you, and thanks for being part Thank of the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you for inviting appreciate us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Harriet, for coming in. Thank you for having me. And do you say that if you we need you need more volunteers, especially black volunteers, um, at Parkers to help with the reading, well, listening into the reading of the children. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much, guys. And to you, uh, our listeners, we we thank you for engaging with us, our callers, uh, the tweets. um, Some of them we didn't get to. We apologize for that. And uh, the WhatsApp messages. May we please continue the discussion on Twitter? Please tag at country duties at a at equal underscore education and let, let's keep the discussions going um remember we always want the solution and not just complaining thanks for listening in that's a duty show this is cliffcentral.com